Holy Father, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for bringing us here to this generation of Youth for Christ conference. Thanks, Lord, for not giving up on us when we have misstepped, when we've made mistakes, when we've sinned. I pray that you bless our time together. But Father, especially we want to pray for the mother-in-law of Dr. Miroslav Kish, Brenda's mother, who has had a double stroke. I pray that you bless her. Bring physical healing to her, Lord, if it be your will. Give comfort and support to those who are uh, struggling with this issue. Bless the doctors and nurses. And Father, we pray that you'll be with us now as we touch on some tough topics. Going back to the Word of God to see your counsel, your guidance for our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I can't start this session without picking up my guitar because, so that you know, as I said, with Dr. Keish not being able to be here, the session that I'm going to deal with right here, the title of the session is, believe it or not, Mutiny over music. <laughs> so we're going to deal with music for this session. I said I'm going to deal with the issue of sexuality a little later on. But for right now, we're going to deal with the issue of music. And in one session, I'm going to share with you, um, hopefully by God's grace, some biblical principles, some answers to the many issues that are being raised, especially today in the culture, in the context, in, in the church. Yes, there are issues that come up repeatedly, and we will be looking at that. So I wanted you to sing with me. It's an echo song. Some of you might know it. Sing with me. It's not that tough. But since this is the issue of music, I'm going to share this with you. And the words, by the way, were written by David, the psalmist. I added the music and we'll talk about the issue of music in a few minutes. See if you can sing by echoing. Now, a couple parts of it are a little difficult. So listen carefully and sing everything I do. Are you ready for that test? Ready. One, two, go. Thy word have I hid. Good deep down in my heart That I might not sin Against thee my God Open thou mine eyes That I may behold Great things in thine law So shall I keep it I thought some of you are going to get stuck. Yes, some of you picked up there, but remember you must sing while you listen. Now, a couple places where it happens, so we'll do it again from the beginning. You ready? Thy word have I hid deep down in my heart that I might not sin against thee, my God. Open the mine eyes that I may be So shall I keep it continually. Thy word is a lamp, a light to my path. The law of thy mouth is better than gold. Oh, I love thy law. It's my meditation. I delight myself in thy statutes, O Lord, and rejoice in thy way. You did pretty well for the first time through. We did this a couple of times. 
the first session. Now the second session, we can put away the instrument. We're going to get into that important topic on the issue of music. Yes, I know it's quite a divisive topic, but we as Christians want to make sure we are together on the topic. Yeah, somebody said to me, in fact, uh, Danny Shelton said to me one day, I was uh, down at 3ABN, and he said, Ron, can you do me a favor? Can you write a book, 48 pages, just a little book, on the basic principles of music? Because we're struggling here at 3ABN. People are trying to bring all kinds of music along. He says, and I don't have a small, little 48-page book, a simple one with biblical principles to say to them, here is the biblical principles, here are the biblical principles, and here is why we have certain music that we select. Have you noticed, by the way, up till this point in time, that the music on 3ABN is not like other Christian stations. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Okay? Because Danny Shelton told me in person he's trying to hold the line. But what are the biblical principles? Where do we go? Number one, the Bible. Did you know that in the United States, how many of you, by the way, are from outside the USA? Raise your hand if you're from outside the USA. Wow, I see several hands going up. But let's talk about the USA right now. 80 to 85 percent of Americans claim to be Christians. But you know what? Many have never read the Bible seriously, if at all. And, and here in the United States, you ask Americans who claim to be Christians, can you name five of the Ten Commandments? And guess what? They can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. And yet they say, we're Christians. The bottom line is what? Unfortunately, Americans have not, and, and even Adventists, I'll give you a shocker in a minute, are not spending time in the Word, spending time in the Bible. Let me give you an example. Have you heard of Willow Creek Church? Pastor Bill Hybels. How many of you heard of Willow Creek Church? Raise your hand high. I want everybody to see. That's about one-third of you. Let me tell you about this church. Bill Hybels, about 30-something years ago, started a church. He went around with friends to check what people wanted in a church kind of a marketing approach, and that church grew. And recently, the church rebuilt a brand new sanctuary. They just built one. Guess what it cost? The church cost, the sanctuary cost, $72 million. Well, they have a membership of 7,200 in the church. But this huge church by Bill Hybels, they, they aren't just building a, a, a sanctuary. They went and they surveyed the people who've been attending for decades. They did a complete survey of them and asked them questions because of the methods they've been using. And by the way, I've got some video or footage of what they do, and I've watched the music that they play, and, like, and the questions were very important, and the results, listen to this. Having spent 30 years creating and promoting a multi-million dollar organization, and they did the research, Bill Hybels confesses. I'm going to give you the four words, he says. We made a mistake. We messed up 30 years. Yes. What did they do? He says, I'm quoting Bill Hybels, he says, We should have taught people how to, guess what? How to not come and sing these exciting songs. We should have taught people how to read the Bible. <laughs> they had all these exciting worship services and all these things that got people excited, and they failed. He said, we made a mistake. We messed up. We should have taught people how to read their Bibles between services and how to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. We messed up. Sad news, folks. That's, that's the admission. I have here a picture of a gentleman. I won't show you his face. A man who was, was an ordained Adventist pastor. He left the Adventist church. Why? He went to another church and his reasons, his whole story is here. Not once does he ever mention Bible study. 
He joined another church for other reasons, not Bible study. Fascinating, scary. People are not spending the time studying the Word of God. And that's what we need to do is get into the Word. Get into the Word. Study it carefully. How do I know we are not studying the Bible? I have some sad news here. I have it right here, a study that was done organized by our leaders. They did a complete, statistically valid, scientifically planned study of pastors. Are you hearing what I said? Of whom? Pastors and lay leaders in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Are we together? This is not just the member. I use it just. Because we ask people to be our leaders. Who are our leaders? Here it is. A study done in the year 2002. Six years ago. Of whom? Pastors and whom? Lay leaders. What do you do as Adventist leaders? The good news. You want the good news or, or just the bad news? What do you want? Both? Okay. You, I'll give you the good news first. The good news. They surveyed all these pastors and lay leaders. The good news from the survey, and they did the survey throughout the 12, back then 12, now there are 13 world divisions. The good news is this. 90% of the pastors and lay leaders responded and said they are firmly committed to the Adventist teachings. The majority said they lived joyful lives. They had the assurance of salvation. They believed in the church's organizational structure. We're saying, amen, good news. You want the bad news now? You sure you want it? Here's the bad news. Of the pastors and lay leaders, elders, deacons, guess what? Here's the bad news. Bible study, daily Bible study, and prayer. Daily prayer and Bible study of our pastors and lay leaders. Guess how much, how many, how much percent were involved in daily Bible study and prayer? Less than 50% of the pastors and lay leaders around the world. Less than 50%. Less than 40% are active Christian, Christian witnessing to the community, etc. Bad news. That's the reality. So we need to get back. By the way, this was done as a study in order to let us know what's happening out there. So I want to challenge you. Make sure you spend your time in the Word. Now let's get to the issue of music. Firstly, just a word about secular music. That's the foundation, is the Bible. Firstly, an issue about secular music. And then we'll go for 45 minutes, we'll go to the issue of sacred music. But just listen to this. And you all know this, but I'll just share with you a latest study. This one came out a couple of years ago. Teenagers. Young people will listen, and, but it's not just teenagers, but the study was done about teenagers. They did a study of teenagers. Teenagers who listen to sexually degrading music, and including some forms of popular rap music, quote, are more likely to be sexually active. I don't like that term. By the way, you know why I don't like that term? Because I am sexually active. Did you hear what I just said? Did I shock you? I'm married, folks. Isn't that where it should be? Amen. I'm glad there's one amen from a married man there. I'll repeat and I will see if you agree with this. I am married, therefore I'm sexually active. Amen. Okay, that's the right terminology. The devil, is, the devil is tricky. I told about mind games of the great manipulator. The devil has taken the ugly words promiscuity, fornication, and he's given them nice terms. Oh, sexually active. Isn't that, doesn't, we all need to be active, isn't that true? Are you with me? The devil has taken those terms. Don't use the terms of the devil. Let's call a spade a spade. Okay? So this is the study used the word sexually active. Be careful of, these, of the language. By the way, I remember one guy was saying, oh, when they had this WorldCom and Enron uh, fraud, one guy said, oh, this, this is just fuzzy math. 
And the person who was inter being interviewed said, that's not fuzzy math, that's outright fraud. Call a spade a spade, folks. Be careful. Language is very clever, very, uh, nowadays you don't know, you, you know, there are no more, did you know there are no more prostitutes in Thailand? No. They only have commercial sex workers. You get the point? They work hard. <laughs> they, they, they turn language around. Be careful of the, twi the twisting of language. Mind games. I started my first session, mind games of the great manipulator. They change language. We are not called committed Christians. We're called Jesus freaks. The devil does that thing. He makes the good bad, the good, the bad good. So here it's talking about the teenagers who are more sexually active. Okay? Why? When you listen to degrading music, that's the way you go. Listen to this further. Lyrics negatively impacted both boys and girls, whites and non-whites. The study suggested that parents, quote, monitor the type of music to which their children are exposed, end quote. The very private world of iPods has allowed teens to download and listen to music that, they, that the parents may once have, have uh, wanted them to avoid. They don't know that. So they said, parents, look around for what, what the kids are listening to. Now that's secular music. We're not going to talk about that. That's quite obvious. Secular music is extremely dangerous nowadays. And it was dangerous before. It was more subtle before. Now it's just blatant in your face. And you guys know that. Okay, you see that. If you see it on MTV, you know. This is clearly not God's ideal for us. What about the issue of sacred music? So let's go into that because that's where the big debate and the big uh, uh, discussion is. I almost use the word fight. We don't want to fight amongst each other. What about music? What about music? Especially music that they say, oh, but this is, these are, are God's uh, uh, godly words. Doesn't God accept us just as we are? Doesn't God uh, uh, simply take us as we are? Uh, what, what about this whole issue of music? So let's, uh, let me share with you here, very interesting. Uh, I want to share with you a little short story. I'm from the country, the Republic of South Africa. And not too long ago, I was asked to go and give a week of prayer. So I flew there, back home, but I was already aware that every now and then I end up in a situation where I'm embarrassed by the music. You know what I'm talking about? So I call, I call, I called them and I wrote to them. I said, guys, I'm a little concerned. Sometimes I do a week of prayer and then the kind of music that comes in is really problematic. And the guy wrote back, and by the way, it's my home country. He said, don't worry. These are the people in charge. They're solid. They're godly. They know, they know the difference. I said, fine. I got there. And the music leader, she led the song service, powerful, uplifting, praise music, just wonderful, lifted our spirits. And then just, and then of course the opening prayer, you know how it goes, and then the special music right before, and, and the special music was a singing group. And they came up and they sang. Couldn't believe it. Whoa! It was crooning, heavy, not heavy metal, but so much like a nightclub. It changed things like, I sat there and I'm going to preach after this. But the worship leader sensed what had happened. And she got up and she said, Folks, the special music was, was just over and the group was still sitting there. Folks, can we sing hymn number so-and-so to help us to return to the spirit of worship? Amen. Praise God. I say, I'm glad you said amen. You, you like that? Yeah, that. Pray. I said, wow, this is awesome. She knew she'd been take, we'd been taken out of God's presence straight into the nightclub and she actually said that. <laughs> wow. She didn't attack them. She said, let's sing a hymn to help us to return to the spirit of worship. 
That's, the, that's what happens sometimes. The, somebody who's going to speak, you don't know what's going to happen. So nowadays, I'm afraid to go and speak in Adventist churches. Did you hear what I said? I'm going to share with you what I've had to do because of that. Uh, open your Bibles. We want to give you a biblical passage here. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Verse 17 to 19. Exodus chapter 32. You know, sometimes... Uh, young people might not be able to see the difference. Well, here's an interesting story of a young person. <laughs> His name was Joshua in Exodus 32. And he was not able to be as discerning as was the older gentleman. And by the way, young people, don't be afraid to go to your, uh, the, the gray-haired among us. Notice I've got some gray hair. Did you notice that? Okay. I've passed 30, passed 40, okay, passed 50. And so uh, come to us. We can help to give you some godly counsel. And here's Joshua who needed godly counsel from the gray-haired man, Moses. Okay. So let's go to Exodus 32, verse 17. Remember they were up in the mount. And, now, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. Was Josh, Joshua right? Let's look at verse 18. But he, Moses said, It's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Moses says, verse 19, So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Symbolically, showing that the Ten Commandments had been violated here. So it's very interesting. Sometimes, as we go, we'll see, we need to listen to those of gray hair. They can give us some good counsel. By the way, I listened to somebody. In fact, I called somebody this week. And as I, uh, he actually called me, an elderly gentleman, he's old enough to be my father. And I said to him, I said, let's call him Alan. It's not his name, but I said, hey, Alan, I got a confession. I'm sorry I didn't listen to what you said because I didn't understand the issues. I called, I called to, uh, you called me, uh, and I, I need to tell you this before you, we talk further, because he had called me. I, I need to tell you this. You were right. You were right. I wish, he said, oh yes, you got to listen to our, us elderly people. Hey, I'm 57, okay? This guy says, you got to listen to us elderly people. I said, yes, and Alan's a good friend of mine. So I have to be willing to listen too. That's why I'm saying, listen to the elders. Listen. Now, by the way, let's go back into history for a moment. Did you know that in, in contemporary Western culture, music has come to be viewed as almost exclusively a form of harmless entertainment intended for private pleasure and, and create congenial atmospheres with individuals consulting their likes and dislikes. Uh, you know, this is what you like, this is what I like. That's the only basis for what's right and wrong. But guess what? Why all the fuss? Did you know that the ancient people, going back to the Greeks and the Chinese, they understood the power of music. Have you heard of Aristotle, Plato? Listen to what they said. This is what Aristotle and Plato taught almost two and a half thousand years ago. Quote, music, this is the concept, music directly imitates, represents that is, the passions or states of the soul. Gentleness, anger, courage, temperance, and their opposites and other qualities. Hence, when one listens to music that imitates a certain passion, he or she becomes imbued with the same passion. And if over a long time he or she habitually listens to the kind of music that arouses ignoble, bad passions, his or her whole character will be shaped to an ignoble form. In short, if one listens to the wrong kind of music, he will become the wrong kind of person. But con conversely, if he listens to the right kind of music, he will become uh, the right 
right kind of person. Interesting. And this has got nothing to do with the words. This just has to do with the music itself. I'll give you evidence of that in a moment, and we'll get to the biblical principles before we end today. Now listen to the Chinese. Confucius. If you heard the thing Confucius say, ah, listen to Confucius say this time. If one, quote, if one should desire to know whether a kingdom is well governed, if its morals are good or bad, the quality of its music will furnish the answer. Listen to the rest of the statement. Character is the backbone of our human culture, and music is the flowering of character. The ancient Greeks, the ancient Chinese had it right. They had it correct. So we go back to history and we see. And so the big question is, is music simply neutral? Is, there, is it morally neutral? What is music? Is it just, well, my choice versus your choice, etc.? In 1984, let's come up to the present. That was, we went two and a half thousand years ago or more. Let's go to the present. Manfred Kleins, a neuropsychophysiologist, uh, guy who works with the brain, a neurophysiologist and an, an incredible pianist, said this, quote, Music, in fact, is an organization created to dictate feelings to the listener. Music dictates feelings to you if you're listening to it. The composer is an unrelenting dictator, powerful words, and we choose to subject ourselves to him when we listen to his music. Scary words. The composer is a what? Dictator. He basically tells you how you've got to feel. For example, okay, listen to this. Think of this illustration. If you've ever gone to watch a movie, listen to the background music. Have you noticed what happens? Imagine the scene, and I don't recommend you go and watch it, but imagine you have, or if you have seen a sci-fi, science fiction, horror movie in which a lethal monster spider is creeping up on an innocent, unsuspecting child. You can almost hear the creepy background music, right? <laughs> okay? Why do they do that? Film producers use music to accompany such scenes, especially when some would have us uh, and there are some people who say, ah, it's not the music, it's just the words. Why do the film uh, producers do this? Because the music conveys the message. Music is not neutral. Music itself provides a certain feeling. You know what they do? Have you ever seen, if you go to a foreign country, I went to uh, uh, Israel once, and I was there, and I went to, uh, I was working at, a, I was actually staying at a kibbutz, and they actually showed a movie one day, and they had Hebrew subtitles. But guess what? They kept the same music. They don't change the music, even if they nowadays translate the words. Why? Listen to this. If it's only the words that were the issue, then they would have to change the music. The underlying belief of the, of the filmmakers is that background music will communicate the same basic message to all viewers throughout the world across all cultural backgrounds. That's what they do in movies. They have the same music for every culture because music affects us in the same way. If you're a mother, when you're going to try to put your baby to sleep, you don't turn on what we used to call Led Zeppelin type of music. You don't put on the Rolling Stones. You sing a lullaby, and they do that across all cultures. Isn't that true? Because there's a certain kind of music that helps. So the issue of the neutrality of music, they have discovered, they've studied it. This is not true. The issue, music is not morally neutral at all. Music is extremely powerful, and music affects us. 
I'm going to read to you now from a musician, by the way. And, and what's interesting, when you go and you study, this is, I can say this categorically. I have looked at what we call theomusicologists. You know what a theomusicologist is? It's a theologian, somebody who studies the Bible deeply, who understands the Bible, and who is a serious musician. Now, I'm not just talking about the musicians. I'm not talking about the theologians. I'm talking about those who have studied both very deeply. And across the board within the Seventh Adventist Church and even outside, I've found so far that the theomusicologists, those who study the Bible deeply and those who study music deeply, all seem to agree on the same thing, whether Adventists or not. And here it is. Are you listening? The body's response to music can influence behavior in two ways. The emotional changes... The emotional changes the music prompts may begin to develop certain thought patterns in us. Since thoughts inspire actions, music can modify our behavior. But music may also bypass thought and affect our behavior directly without us thinking about it. And, and you may see that, for example, if you're sitting in a, in a concert one day and without realizing it, guess what happens to your foot? Your toe begins to tap. And somebody says, hey, you're tapping your toe. And you hadn't even thought about it. Your toe automatically begins to tap. Ever happened to you? Okay. Automatic. The music actually affects you. Listen to this. Again, going back in time. A Confucian scholar wrote, Music is intended to arouse man, that's the purpose back then, to turn back from wickedness and evil. Sounds almost biblical. Okay? For changing the mores, the habits, etc., and improving the customs, there is nothing better than music. And contrary-wise, if you want to downgrade something, then you go with that. You know what's fascinating? This is California. And I remember a study that was done at the University of California, I believe it was San Francisco, UCSF, if my memory serves me right. And in the last three or four years, in this century, yes, they did a study of students studying with rock music compared with students studying with, guess what, classical music. Fascinating study, and they found out at the secular university that the students who studied with classical music, their grades went up. Those with rock music, guess what happened to their grades? down. And it was fascinating, at, and, and there was a report, as the students at this secular university said, from now on I'm going to study using Beethoven and Bach. <laughs> Not rock music. Because what happens, they've been studying this for, for decades, music affects your, the rhythms of the body and helps to align the, the brain cells and all that, and these are secular students that recognize the power of music. Fascinating. You can go do your own study. There's so much behind this to prove this. And you know what's interesting? Music even affects the way your muscles work. I have often wondered why it is when you go to a, to a gym to, to work out, what kind of music do they play? Rock music, which actually is syncopated and actually works against your natural body rhythms. And I have concluded that they do that intentionally because it works against building up the body so you have to come back time after time and your muscles never get as strong as they can. <laughs> now, I don't think they do it intentionally. I think they just don't know any better. Okay? But so what I do when I go to a gym, when I, I'm not home, I put these earplugs in my ears. And I sometimes even take the Bible and I go and I read while I'm on the exercise bike. But I've got to block out that music because that music actually undermines the building up of my body. Be careful. The devil is brilliant, folks. He knows every way to try to deceive us and to try to pull us down. Be careful of, of that type of music. Now, there's a fascinating story that comes from last century. And some, many of you are aware of this. It happened in the state of Indiana, the neighboring state to where I now work and live in Michigan. 
It was at a camp meeting in 1909 in September. One of our Bible workers, one of our Bible teachers, one of our uh, leading men by the name of Stephen Haskell went down there as a representative of the General Conference to this camp meeting in September 1900. And what happened there shocked him. He wrote this. He sent a letter to, who, to a lady who was then alive. Do you know who that was? Ellen White. He wrote the letter and he said, Haskell said, and by the way, this was a big camp meeting. How do I know? The newspaper said there were three and a half thousand people attending some of the meetings. It was a huge meeting for back then. Three and a half thousand people attending. Haskell wrote to Ellen White and said that, quote, everything is drowned, but simply the noise of the instruments. The only thing you hear, you don't hear the singing. All you hear is the noise of the instruments. He says it's a mixture of truth and error with much excitement and music. Haskell wrote that. And a lay person who was attending wrote that, quote, they worked themselves up to a high pitch of excitement by the use of instruments such as trumpets, flutes, stringed instruments, tambourines, an organ, and a big bass drum. Now, by the way, the issue wasn't the use of the instruments per se, although I'm not sure how you can use a big bass drum in, 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 a, in a way in, in a church, in decorum. But the, the issue mainly was how they were doing this. Ellen White wrote back, and if you want to find her quote, Selected Messages, Book 2. So write this reference down, 2SM, page 36 and 37. 2SM, page 36 and 37. And uh, I want to give you her quote, just a quote, and you can read for it further. Remember, we're summarizing here a major issue in, in music. The things, Ellen White says, that you have described as taking place in Indiana, the Lord has shown me. Whenever Ellen White says the Lord has shown me, where is that? In what way? In vision. Oh, in a dream of the night, God uh, inspires her. The Lord has shown me would take place just before the close of probation. Hey, wait a minute. What did Ellen White say? The Lord has shown me that the things you have described would take place when? Just before the close of probation. I suspect we're living in those days, don't you? Okay, listen to the rest. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. There will be shouting with drums, music, and dancing. The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make right decisions. This whole session is about ethics, making right decisions. And this is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Ellen White says that. This is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then she, she ends off. Some several paragraphs later, she has this one final sentence there that really captures a lot of it. No encouragement should be given to this kind of worship. No encouragement should be given to this kind of worship. Folks, music is powerful. Music is incredible. Be very, very careful what people uh, encourage us to do and so forth. Let me read you one more statement also from Ellen White. This is Testimonies, Volume 1. Okay, so 1T, that's what it's called in abbreviation, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 585 and 586. She has another statement that basically corroborates what we've been saying here. Listen carefully now. She's talking about the devil and the power he has on minds. Satan has no objection to music if, if he can make that a channel through which to gain access to the minds of whom? Of the youth. The devil is trying to gain access to your minds. And that Satan is glad to use music in order to do that. So be very, very careful, young people. Now, I say young people, a little confession here before we get into some more Bible passages and give you some extra principles to support that. Yes, I say confession. You know, I'll admit, 
When I was raised, I was raised in an Adventist family. I praise God for my mom and dad who are still alive in their 80s right now. And I was thankful that they never used Ellen White as a club over my head. They upheld the Bible. Uh, I just, uh, you know, no family is perfect, okay? But I, I was thankful I was raised in a family that did not use her as a club. But we enjoyed this wonderful gift of the spirit of prophecy. And so my parents raised me and we were a musical family. My dad sang bass. Guess what? My mom sang tenor. Um, my sister sang alto, and I was a little kid, I sang soprano. We had a quartet, the four of us, and my dad was a preacher, he did evangelistic meetings, and we would sing together, we did music together, my mom played the piano, she played the accordion, and you know, so we were a musical family, and I thank God for being raised in a solid atmosphere of that type of music. Music is powerful, music can affect our lives. But music also has the opposite danger, to go in a dangerous direction. And so I'm sharing also from inside. I want to share with you a book I've just been uh, reading. In fact, I've read it this weekend. I was uh, at Ukaipa Church, and a friend of mine uh, shared this book with me. Um, now, uh, this is not written by a Seventh-day Adventist, but it's a powerful book in, in which uh, many of the principles we can grow, we can learn from. And incidentally, when I recommend a book, I never recommend a book 100% except the Bible and the writings of Ellen White. Are you together with me? That's the only 100%. These are the inspired words. Of, of The Bible is inspired by God. Uh, I say words. I'm talking about the whole book. We as Adventists believe in what we call thought inspiration. Uh, we aren't verbal, mechanical dictations to every single word, but God inspired the Word of God. But these other books I recommend, they have some good insights for us. Why I left the contemporary Christian music movement. He was a worship leader. He wrote a book called Why I Left the Contemporary Christian Music Movement. Why I Left the Contemporary Christian Music Movement. And his name was Dan, D-A-N, last name Lucarini. L-U-C-A-R-I-N-I. -I, Dan Lucarini. And as I read this book uh, in the last few days, I found some important uh, principles here. Listen to what he says. And I'll read you a couple paragraphs to capture the essence of it right here. CCM. You know what CCM stands for? Contemporary Christian Music. CCM embraces many different contemporary music styles with a heavy, heavily syncopated beat such as soft rock, smooth jazz, rap, and pop rock. But the father of them all is what? Rock and roll. Rock and roll is a musical style that was created for immoral purposes by immoral men and women, I can add, and has always been used by the world to express immoral attitudes in song. You have probably heard this before, but it is worth repeating here. The name rock and roll originated from a slang phrase for what? For having sex. Rock music is the overwhelming preference for the sexually immoral of wild parties, of strip joints, of drug drunks, and of drug abusers. Why do you think they all prefer this style to others? By the way, why do you think the Rolling Stones, who are in their 60s, are still out there performing rock music? Okay, for decades. The answer should be obvious to anyone, to any who know rock music. Be honest with yourself as I have, the writer says. We prefer it because we like the beat, the driving rhythms. Rock music and its offspring have the power to make our flesh and our minds do something. That something must be conducive to the list of immoral behavior we have just noted. 
Okay, in, in the previous part of the book, he talks about all the problems of rock music, or else people would simply not listen to and use rock music. They would find something else to suit their fleshly desires. It should come, be no surprise then, that this music, which emphasizes sensuality and rebellion, often gives rise to other behavior that evidences a spirit of immorality even within the church. And by the way, he says, here's an example. When you come together for worship, he says, have you noticed how the performers, the singers often dress? He says, I'm quoting, am I the only one, the writer says, who has noticed that some of the ladies in the worship teams or those who are performing special music are wearing provocative dresses or tight revealing clothing and doing so on the platform in full view of the congregation? Why? They are imitating secular female artists who dress that way purposely to tease and to tempt men. And the reverse is also true. Okay? So he says, be careful. Um, let's, uh, uh, by the way, I, I, the, the very first Sabbath, I believe it was, I was a pastor at uh, one of my churches. I wouldn't say where, because we're not dealing with issues here, uh, with people, but with issues. <laughs> I was a pastor, and this very first special music, there was a lady playing, uh, uh, going, to, going to sing, and uh, I believe it was the violinist, or the whoever was, was there with uh, half-dressed, you know what I'm saying? So that you could see her belly and all the rest. And it was basically constantly drawing attention. She had to keep pulling herself down. Yeah, she was a violinist. You know what happens when you're playing the violin, right? I think, and you know what happens. And so, she, a constant distraction to showing as much flesh as she could. Now, I don't know if she did it intentionally, but it was a huge problem, obviously, of distraction. And so we had to deal with this. Uh, we had to get our uh, music committee together and say, ooh, we have to look at these issues. What can we do to, to make sure that when music is performed, the glory is given to God, not the emphasis on the midriff or the emphasis on the rest of the body? Okay, time for biblical principles. We've got 20 minutes here. I'm going to give you some more principles. Let's look at some serious biblical issues. What, why do we have to be careful about certain kinds of music? The first one, Ezekiel 22. I'm going to give you half a dozen here. The first three deal with the issue of the music itself. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. Let's look at some serious biblical principles. Ezekiel 22, verse 26. And remember, as I mentioned, as we started our sessions, I'm going to give you ideas, biblical principles, and challenge you to go home, dig deeper, and to grow in this, and to get closer to God as a result of our time here together. Ezekiel 22. We're not giving you all the answers. We're simply providing sufficient material to get you digging deeper into these issues. Ezekiel 22, verse 26. And now it's talking about the leaders, the spiritual leaders, by the way, back then. It talks about the priests. Her priests, Israel's priests, have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made the difference between the clean and the unclean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. In a nutshell, God is basically saying there is a clear differentiation between the holy and the profane, between the sacred and the secular. And sometimes people are confusing these things and mixing them up. It happens in the issue of music. We're aware of that. For example, let me give an example, and this happens in churches even. I was a member for a year 
you know, I want to be fair. I don't want to just get up there and speak against something. I have to investigate it. And I remember once going to actually join an Adventist church. They were called a contemporary church. So I went to the pastor, who is a friend, and I said, let's call him Mike. Not his real name. I said, Mike, what do you intend to do here? What's the purpose of your church? He said, my purpose is to bring back the Adventists. He says, in this area here, I have found out that there are 5,000 people who are baptized Seventh-day Adventists, but who no longer go to church. So I am now trying to put together a church that can welcome them back. Come as you are. God is a forgiving God. I'm trying to get back the backslidden Adventists. And he began to tell me his philosophy and what he's trying to do. And that church, by the way, had CCM, Contemporary Christian Music. So I said, hey, okay, uh, good. And, they said, and then once, once they come back, then I'll help to raise the standards. When they come in, he said, if they come in all bejeweled and bedangled, uh, that says, uh, be bangled, sorry, be bangled, you know what I mean? With the bangles and the jewels. He said, I, uh, we accept them as they are, and then by God's grace, we'll help them uh, to, to, to go through a transformation in the way they dress. And in our next session, session three, we're going to talk about the issue of majoring in minors on this whole issue of dress and so forth. So I said, oh, great, Mike. Let's, 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 uh, so we joined. My wife and I joined them for more than a year. So we were there, okay, participating. I became, I was actually even on the board, on the church board. So I'm talking from the inside, <laughs> having been part of this, to study, to see what's happening. But I found the same thing that I'm going to read to you here from Dan Lucarini. This is what happened in that very church. Quote, this is what he says. Dan is describing, he was a worship leader, a music leader. He says, we all desire intimacy in our relationship with the Lord. Isn't that true? Yes. When we worship together, some of us like to see it displayed in others. This makes us feel good. We all want to reach a, a point of heightened praise and emotion that tells us, yes, God is here. Is there anything wrong in that? No, it's good. So we use, what do we use? We use contemporary Christian music to create this atmosphere. What do we do? And this happened in that Adventist church. We dim the lights. That church, by the way, they recently built their own sanctuary and the entire ceiling is painted completely pitch black. So that when they dim the lights, it is dark there. We dim the lights. We design the music to move people where we want to take them. And we create that special mood, the right atmosphere. What is wrong with this? Dan Lucarini asks. He says, he answers, it is exactly what the world does to create sexual intimacy. Secular musicians use the same musical styles and environmental methods to draw people into sexual intimacy with them. That's why they have groupies, by the way, you know that. People, girls who follow the guys around and so forth. It is all about bringing sensuality into the public forum and breaking down all of our sexual inhibitions. Satan has used this approach for years to encourage people to commit sexual immorality. We cannot use these unholy methods to manipulate God into drawing near to us or fooling ourselves into believing we are drawing closer to Him. A.W. Tozer put it this way, Much of the singing in certain types of meetings has in it more of romance than it does of the Holy Ghost. Both words and music are designed to rouse, to uh, get going, the libidinous. The libidinous, what is that? The lusts of the flesh. Listen to what he says. Christ is courted with a familiarity that reveals a total ignorance of who he is. One more sentence. 
It is not the reverent intimacy of the adoring saint, but the impudent familiarity of the carnal lover. When I listen to singers nowadays, it sounds like with that uh, voice, they're singing to their lover to get the person to go to bed with them. That's what's been happening in, in, in unfortunately, some of the musical styles. Be very careful. Don't mix the sacred with the profane. Keep the two separate. Second principle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, and then we'll back up to one verse. 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's go to verse 22. Now I know the King James uses a word there, avoid all the appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Modern translations say that differently, and we'll, we'll look at it just a little deeper here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22 says... Of abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every, what? Every form of evil. Now again, in this book I was quoting from, they do a pretty good job of going deeper into it. Many, many Christians uh, might not want to discuss this verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, because its application would require them to give up some of their cherished worldly practices. But its benefits are there for all to see. Paul addresses not just the acts of evil themselves, but the very form of evil. The Greek word, by the way, translated form here, carries the idea of a view, an appearance, a fashion, or a shape. The Bible calls us for abstinence. That means we should avoid or restrain ourselves from indulging in any appearance, any form of evil. And by the way, this is what the types of music that are slipping into the church, are imitating the world. If you listen to the radio, a Christian station, many times, it is way off. It sounds like when I was growing up, the music of the Beatles, the music of the Rolling Stones, way back then. And it's just incredible. It's the same type of music. It's that same form of it that the, we are called upon to avoid every form. One more Bible text about the issue of, that I believe the principles apply to the issue of music. Ephesians 5. And then we'll go to the issue of the lyrics in a minute. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. So let's go back a few books here. We went First Thessalonians. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. And I'm going to read it to you from the New International Version. I know that the New King James puts it this way, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. The NIV has put it into modern language beautifully this way. Ecle uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, that's covetousness, because these are improper for God's holy people. There must not be even a what? Even a hint of improper things. By the way, recently, this year, I attended a camp meeting. There was a group of singers. I'll never forget this. Singers that were, uh, I've known the group for a while, a group of Seventh-day Adventist singers. And as they sang on stage, I noticed that one of the singers, a lady, was getting quite into it. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? So, you know, it's starting to jive a little bit. And she was singing, she's married, and she was singing a duet now and then with another guy who also is married, and she was singing very close to him in, in, in an almost essential way. This is camp meeting. 
a hint of sexual impropriety, I sat there and I felt very uncomfortable because here the Christian song, so-called, was really the music of the world that began to encourage that type of activity. Hints of sexual immorality. You know one of the easy ways I tell people? How do you know the difference between the two? There are two kinds of music essentially. The music that is joyful, praise the Lord, or the music that is jazzful. The one kind that moves your heart, the other kind that makes you want to move. Are we clear? Very simple. The one that moves your heart to service for the Lord, the other kind that makes you move for sexual activity. Simple difference. Joyful versus jazzy. Okay? Moving you, your heart, versus making you move physically. One for service and one with sexual impropriety. Simple difference between those two things. And by the way, most people can recognize it. In fact, that's what I said earlier. That's why movie makers, they keep the same music for global audiences. They just change the words. Because the music impacts everyone the same with, all, with no real difference. The power of the music is there. We've got 10 minutes here to finish up. Let's finish up these important biblical principles. Now, on the issue of the words. Uh, and I know I'm going to step on toes here. On the issue of words, got three principles as well. And why do I say I go step on toes? Because a good friend of mine had invited me a few, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, to go to speak at his church again in South Africa, where I'm from. And these guys were pretty, pretty solid, conservative. And so they made sure that the music, there was no rock music, there was no jazz music. It was well played. It was no attraction to, my, to myself. But there was one problem. It was the words. Huh? What's wrong with the words? Yes, they use contemporary songs, but they played them in a, in, a, in, a, in a God-glorifying way. Here's the problem. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at the principle. Matthew chapter 6, the words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 verse 5. A very important principle. And by the way, I wish somebody has had a hymn book. Does anybody have a hymnal with you today? I didn't bring my hymn book and I thought of it this morning. I said, oh, I wish I had a hymnal. Some Bibles even have it in the back, one of the study Bibles. Does anybody have a, a, uh, uh, an Adventist hymnal here with us? Anybody here? If you do, please bring it up. I would appreciate that very much. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 7. This is just uh, um, before talking about the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was going to teach them how to pray. Anybody here have a hymnal? Anybody here? I don't see any hands, no volunteers. But you'll remember, you'll, I'll give you the illustration in a minute here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, and by the way, singing is as much an act of worship as is prayer. So when you pray, or when you sing, same idea. Do not be like, do not use what? Vain repetitions as who? As the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Oh, here's an issue, folks. Be careful of songs that have vain repetitions. So I'm going to be fair. I'm going to go back to an old song. An old song that I grew up with. When I came to the United States, I was kind of surprised and disappointed to hear the way it is sung in this country. I'm an American now. Yes, I still hold South African citizenship. And by the way, I've got three citizenships. My real citizenship is where? In heaven, okay? But I still hold the South African passport. That's valid. But in South Africa, we sang the song a different way. I'll tell you how we did it in a minute. But in the United States, I heard a song deep and wide. Does anybody know the words? Okay, how does it go? Deep and wide? Deep and wide in the United States, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. What's the rest of the verse? Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Wait a minute, what's the meaning of that? 
deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. It borders on vain repetitions. Okay, what's the meaning of this song? In South Africa, we sang it this way. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Notice the rest of the song. Plunge right in, lose your sin. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Do you get the meaning? Aha! What is the fountain? Fountain of what? The blood of Christ. It has theological content. Now, I gave you an illustration of South Africa. I gave you a bad illustration, you know, and I gave you good illustrations showing you uh, what not to do, what to do. So here, there was a song with meaning. That's from way back. You know what I found it interesting? I began to analyze some of the contemporary Christian songs, and I found that there's a repetition of words, vain repetition. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. And over and over again, with very little content. Not much substance. They border on what we call vain repetition. Go back and analyze the songs yourself. And I couldn't believe it. And then I began to look deeper. And I began to think about the hymns of the past. Now, I'm not suggesting we only sing hymns. There are some good contemporary Christian songs that don't have rock music as the foundation. There are a few. Not many. There are a few that I've heard. But the words are just repetitious. Vain repetition. But think of some Christian songs, some biblically-based songs. For Seventh-day Adventists, it's one of the beautiful songs, Holy Day Jehovah's Rest. Of creation's week the best. Have you heard that song? And, and some of these songs go through an entire doctrine. First, his six days work was done, then the Sabbath was begun. Did you notice the content there? Fascinating. Okay, another song, the first Noel, the angel did say. And when it goes through, it tells the whole story. Some of them, the other day we sang Christmas songs in a Vespers in Yukaipa, And we sang one song, five verses, and when we were done, I said, wow, what an incredible song. The entire story of the birth of Jesus is recorded in the song. The song is filled with content and meaning. And by the way, at the church of my friend in South Africa, where they sang these songs. They didn't use rock music. They didn't use drums. They, they sang contemporary choruses that had a good solid melody and a good, but they were repetitious songs. And here I was at my friend's church. He was the head elder. And when I was talking about, let's get back to some serious Christian commitment, I had to actually kindly reprimand them from the front. And I said, I want to challenge you. You've got good musical content. Now go to the next step and let's use good word content, good lyrical content. Words that feed the soul, not vain repetitions. I want to challenge you, go back and look at the music, look at the words, you'll find it. it's almost a chant from the Buddhist times. That's what some of these songs are. Yes, they are. That's what they really are. Like uh, the old song, we thought it was a song of praise to God when we were growing up. Little did we know it was a chant uh, to Hare Krishna. There was a song that George Harrison wrote years ago called My Sweet Lord. How many of you remember that song, My Sweet Lord? Like you can see your age here. Only about three hands went up and those of us who uh, have our hair gray here. But it was a song by George Harrison and he was singing to, uh, to his God, Hare Krishna. But we thought it was to God, but it, it was a constant repetition. My Sweet Lord, Hare Krishna. And it was, he even used the word hallelujah in it, but it was to their God. Be careful of the vain repetitions. Be very, very careful about that. Let's go to another principle on words. Second principle on, uh, on words here. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Isaiah 1 verse 18. We'll wrap it up here in a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. A well-known passage. And it ties with the very concept we're talking about here. God wants to, us to use our brains. As you well know, you've heard this so many times. The type of music that is sometimes played 
captures you so much so that the words come into your mind without you realizing it. That's why that music is dangerous, because it, it, it gets you into a mood whereby it goes beyond the thought processes. But notice Isaiah 1 verse 18. What does God say? We're getting the principle from here. What does he say? Come now and let us what? Reason together, says the Lord of hosts. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as so. Though they are as crumbled, they shall be as wool. God wants us to use our brains, our faculty. He wants to reason with us, and He wants us to choose to do the right, not simply in an unthinking way. And that's one of the reasons why the, the music of the world is so dangerous. By the way, you know what's, what it's crazy? People will say, oh, but we want to play the music that the people are used to, rock music, jazz music, because they like that they're used to it. And then when they come into the church, they listen to the good words. But you know what? That's manipulation. That's mind manipulation. Why do I say that? Because the studies are clear. And you can read this in other in studies done over decades. The music of the world captures the mind so that the words slip into their mind without them thinking about that. You are manipulating people into becoming Christians if you use the world's music with good words. And that is, not, that is satanic. Did you hear what I just said? If you want to manipulate people, twisting their arms emotionally. No, give people a chance to think it through, to listen and to make a conscious choice how to accept the Lord and why to accept Him. One more principle. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, verse 16. And then I want to share with you some counsel as to what to do. What if you're in a church where you have contemporary Christian music and you want to uh, get the situation changed? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. How do we handle it? How do we survive? What biblical counsel can we get to improve things by God's grace? Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And remember, as I said, these sessions are here to challenge you, to inspire you, to dig deeper. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word, the Bible, yes. Let's go further. In all wisdom, notice what it says. Teaching and admonishing one another. How? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. How can you teach and admonish if, you, if your song simply says, thank God for being good, I love Him. Thank God for being good, I love Him. Are you teaching people or are you just involved in vain repetitions? Which is why some of those hymns of the past, now again, there are some modern ones, a few, but some of the hymns of the past, the ancient anthems that somebody might say, have such meaning. Have you noticed? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Have you noticed the words? It's the story of salvation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the idea. There's content. There's a gospel. You can teach and admonish through hymns, through psalms, through spiritual songs that have contents. Are we together here? Make sure that the music that you have in your church helps to feed the soul. Folks, we know that at the end of time, guess what? Our Bibles, we won't have anymore. You know that, right? There are some of us who will live by God's grace through the time of trouble such as never was. And where will we have the Word of God unless it's hidden in our heart? And one of the best ways to get the doctrinal content in our hearts is how? Through music. So fill your hearts, fill your minds. If you're a music leader, a worship leader uh, with songs, don't fill the lives of the congregants with popcorn, for lack of a better word. Fill the lives of the people with solid content, meaty music. Sorry, veggie meaty music. Okay? 
so that when they leave, they will have content in their lives so that they can be spirit-filled but also filled with a message. What should you do? What should you do? Let's finish here. Dr. Mervyn Maxwell, the late Dr. Mervyn Maxwell, gave us four suggestions here. Write them down. Write them down. If you're in a church where there's the kind of music that does not glorify God, that promotes rock and sensuality, number one, guess what number one is? Pray. That's right, pray. Not condemn. Number one, do what? Pray. Pray for the worship leader. Pray that, that God will intervene in some way. Pray, pray. Number one, important. Number two, don't fight. Don't fight. Pray, number two, don't fight but educate and kindly persuade. Don't fight, educate and kindly persuade. I'll never forget, I was uh, in a country in the East uh, not too long ago, and while I was there, one man raised his hand in the question and answer time and said, but, but Dr. Dupre, you know, I left the church because I didn't like the music, and now that jazz has come to the church, I've come back. Why did he come back to the church? For what? For the world. <laughs> Fascinating, scary. Be careful. Educate. And I had a chance there, by God's grace, to share and educate a little bit. Take time to educate. Number three, try to teach, especially the children, solid, uplifting, vibrant, reverent music. Teach, especially the children, solid, vibrant, reverent music. Get them involved in musical instruments. Get them involved in learning to uphold and uplift Jesus Christ. Teach music solid, vibrant, alive, yet reverent. We're not here for dead music. Li vibrant, alive. And finally, the last suggestion from Dr. Maxwell, have patience and be caring. Patient, caring, don't simply roughshod, run over people. Patience and caring. To finish, Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 96. We want to end with a psalm of praise to God. We'll read you just six verses, and I want you to go home and read the whole psalm. But let's go to Psalm 96, the 96th psalm. And we'll read just the first three and the last three verses. Psalm 96, 1, 2, and 3, and 11, 12, and 13. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. By the way, repetitive songs don't proclaim His salvation. Repetitive songs talk about us and focus on us. Oh, I love him. I love him. He's been good to me. Notice, it's content-filled songs. Now, there's nothing wrong in a song once in a while to, to praise God. A gospel song once in a while is appropriate with, with appropriate music. But the purpose is proclaim his salvation. Number three, verse three, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Now to verse 11. To finish up here, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Creation will rejoice, by the way. For, verse 30, notice the ending of this. For he is coming. For he is coming to do what? To judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and his peoples with truth. Folks, we're living in serious times. 
We're living in the judgment day. I want to challenge you, all of you, young and not so young, but maybe young at heart. Let's be serious about singing to the Lord a new song in view of the fact that we are living in the time of probation. May we give all the glory to Jesus Christ. May we sing joyfully and vibrantly to Him, but reverently so that He will get all the glory. Do you believe that? Let's stand together for prayer. Holy Father, this issue of music brings so much tension and contention among us so many times. Father, forgive us when we have been perhaps self-righteous in condemning others. Forgive us when we have been perhaps too pushy, pushing our own agendas. Forgive those who are contemporaries and those who are traditionals on either side of the fence. Lord, help us to find ways biblical ways, Christ-centered ways, compassionate ways, loving ways to work together, to sing, to play only for your glory so that others may hear the message of salvation, so that others will praise you as we live in these last days of earth history. In the precious name of our imminently returning King, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.